Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Well, who can tell me what we've been preaching on for the past three weeks? And don't say Jesus, Perry. Faith. Uh, It's interesting, about four weeks ago, maybe, I started preaching out of 1 John chapter 5, and it was my intention to just go and preach that Sunday about how faith is the victory that has overcome the world, and, uh, and we had a good time that day, um, but the Lord just kept it going in my heart. I fe- This sort of impromptu series just popped out, and so here we are in the fourth week or fifth week, whatever it is, preaching and teaching on the subject of faith. Has this been revolutionary to you? because I know that it certainly has been to me, uh, and I'm so, so, so thankful. Um, I'd like for us to turn to Mark chapter 11 as we continue. And as I said on Friday at our Hope and Healing meetings, my intention today is to address the question or address the subject of why does it feel like my faith is not working? Why does it feel like my faith is not working? I believe the Bible gives us some good answers and some good practical things that we can take away um, from this question. And I'm gonna tell you today is gonna be practical. Uh, The last couple weeks if we've been teaching on faith, there's been a lot of practicality in it, but there's also been a lot of inspiration in it. We've had some good goosebumps messages the last couple weeks. Amen, goosebumps like, like inspiring, not like the kids book that we read when we were in fourth grade those of you who remember Goosebumps. Um, It's been inspiring. Today is going to be challenging and it's going to be uh, practical, but I love these messages because these are the messages where we get stretched to grow. Amen? So um, Mark chapter 11, before we read it, let's make our confession of faith this morning. You can read it up on the screen. Let's just say it bold together. Say, thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. And if you don't have that, uh, if you don't have the little cards that we've made, uh, please pick one up on your way out. Uh, the ushers will help you with that. It's just free for you to take. Use it as a bookmark. I use it to uh, underline scripture in my Bible. It's a perfect little straight edge. And uh, it's just a great confession to make over your life. Amen. Mark chapter 11. We're going to read in verse 22. Mark eleven twenty-two. So Jesus answered and said unto them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Verse 24, therefore I say to you, whatever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive and you will have them. Now let's keep going to verse 25 today. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. That's an amazing passage. And as we, uh, as we teach on the subject of faith, we'd be foolish not to notice that Jesus talks about forgiveness in the context of faith and of prayers being answered. So we're addressing the subject this morning, why does it feel like my faith is not working? First of all, before we we address that, before we provide answer to that question, why is my faith not working or why does it feel like my faith not working? Let me tell you, first of all, your faith is working. Amen? Just because you can't feel it working doesn't mean that it's not working. How many of you can see a seed growing? Yeah, anybody? Anybody ever planted a seed and then just waited for it to bloom? How silly would it be for us 
to plant the seed of faith in our heart and believe God for something, do exactly what Jesus said in Mark 11, 23 and 24. We speak to the mountain. We believe we receive when we pray. We ask the Lord, Lord, your bi- the Bible says, your word says that this promise belongs to me as a Christian. I ask you for it. I believe I receive that I have it. And we say amen. And then the, the next day, we go back and dig up the seed and see if it's working. Have you ever planted a seed and then wondered, is it going to grow? You can't see a seed while it's working, can you? See, that's the whole purpose of faith. It works in ways we can't see. It works behind the scenes. It's, it's effective when we can't see it. Look, look, look at what Jesus says. Perry, if you'd, turn to, if you'd put up Luke 17, 5. This is awesome. The reason I use the analogy of a seed is because Jesus used the analogy of the seed. Uh, actually, let's, let's um, it's not verse 5. Let me turn to Luke 17 to see which one it is. I wrote the wrong one in my notes. We're going to get to that verse in just a second, actually. But it's Luke 17, I think it's verse 6, not verse 5. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed... You can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted into the sea and it would obey you. If you have faith as a mustard seed. Now, a lot of times we, we preach and teach that verse and we, ref, we refer to the size of a mustard seed. If you've ever seen a mustard seed, it's a tiny, tiny seed. One of the smallest seeds you'll ever see, actually, is a mustard seed. And a lot of times we preach and teach this verse, and we reflect on the fact that a mustard seed is small, and we say it doesn't take a whole lot of faith to do a lot of things, and that's absolutely true. But I think Jesus also is pointing to the fact here that when a seed is planted, it goes into the ground, and you don't see it working, but it is working. Your faith, when you activate your faith, you re- we call it releasing our faith. When you release your faith for a promise of God and you, you, you pray and you believe, you receive, you're standing on the word, you may or may not see the thing working, but that doesn't mean it's not working. Your faith is not dormant just because you can't see it working. A lot of times we get into a bind and we ask ourselves the question, why doesn't it feel like my faith is working? Well, before we even answer that question, know that it is. Amen. Know that it is. Verse 24, Mark 11, Jesus said, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. It's a future tense. Doesn't always happen in one instant. Sometimes it does. Sometimes the anointing comes and the spirit of God gets on something in your life. He'll get on an area or an issue in your life and you'll just see rapid multiplication. You'll see rapid answers to prayer in that area. That's awesome. Praise God. But if that doesn't happen, doesn't mean you don't have any faith. It just means you'll believe you receive and you will have the thing you believe and you receive for. The Bible says of Abraham that it was by faith and patience that he inherited the promise. told you this wasn't going to be a goosebumpy kind of message, but it's good anyways. Amen. So why doesn't it feel like my faith is working? Well, first of all, your faith is working. It's a seed in the ground. Don't dig up the seed. Don't dig it up to check and see if it's done. Don't turn loose of your faith. Keep the thing engaged. Keep watering it. Keep watering it. Keep watering it. Keep the weeds out of your heart. Don't let unbelief creep in and choke out the word. Keep the seed of faith in the ground. Keep the the switch of faith turned on. It's like a light switch, like this light switch on the wall. Look how easy it is for me to turn the light switch on and off. Don't do that with your faith. Just turn it on and leave it on. Amen. You'll be glad you did. So why does it feel like our faith is not working? Anybody ever ask that question besides me? Why does it feel like that? Well, the main reason, this, is gonna, this may come as what seems like an oversimplified answer, but I believe that it's the biblical answer to the question. The main reason that our faith gets hindered in its working is because of unbelief. Now, a lot of times we think that unbelief is the absence of faith. It's not the absence of faith. 
It's unbelief in the heart working against faith. Okay? Unbelief is not the absence of faith. It's the enemy of faith that the enemy will use, that the devil will use to combat your faith. Okay? A lot of times we don't have a lack of faith problem. We have a too much unbelief problem. I'm going to say that one more time because I want you to get it. A lot of times we don't have a lack of faith problem. We have a too much unbelief problem. It's that we in our lives have tolerated unbelief growing right up next to our faith. Right? It's if, again, we use the analogy of a plant. If you've ever planted anything, you know what happens when weeds show up. They grow right alongside the plant that we're trying to nurture. And if we're not diligent to remove the weed, then the weed sucks life out of the plant. It, it uses up nutrients. It uses up resources that the plant would use to grow. And here's the thing. If you got a lot of weeds in your garden, you're going to get less tomatoes. It's not, it's not a deficiency in the tomato plant. It's the presence of a weed. Oftentimes, it's not the problem or the issue that we don't have enough faith. We're over here in the faith gym working out, trying to get our faith to grow, grow, grow. And, and the Lord's like, it's not that you don't have enough faith. All you need is faith like a mustard seed. What you got is too much unbelief. What I've tolerated in my life is too much unbelief. I'll read the Bible for three minutes and then I'll go watch TV for four hours. I'll, I'll, yeah, thank you, ouch. I'll pray, I'll pray in the spirit for 10 minutes or 15 minutes on my way to work while my mind's half distracted about something else and then I get into work and I just let the world just come and populate the ground of my heart. I let the devil just come sow weeds in my heart. And then I wonder, why is my faith seem so weak? It's because your faith's fighting an uphill battle because we've tolerated unbelief so long. I heard it described this way, and I think it's excellent. Imagine, y'all have seen the Budweiser commercials with the big Clydesdale horses? Imagine if you got two horses, and they're chained to each other, and they're pulling opposite directions, right? Who's going to win the bigger horse, right? Again, it's not that we don't have faith. It's that we've got an equal or greater amount of unbelief. The unbelief horse is stronger than the faith horse, and he's pulling us in a direction we don't want to go. So my, my, my encouragement to us this morning is to, is to not tolerate unbelief when we find it in our life. Ask the Lord to show you where is there unbelief in my heart? Where, oh God, have I allowed the influence of the enemy to come and sow unbelief into the ground of my heart? And give me the strength and the grace and the wisdom to pluck it up. I remember the story of John G. Lake, one of the, one of the great evangelists and healing workers, healing evangelists of our time. He was at the turn of the century, and he was one of these radical guys who just all he did was pray and work miracles. It was fantastic. He would preach, and he would just see amazing things happen in his ministry, and he was famous for his work in South Africa. And he went to South Africa during the time of the plague in the early 1900s. And he would go into villages, and he wouldn't wear a face mask and a suit, and he wouldn't try to protect his body when he would go among people who were sick with the plague. And he, and he would always go in, and he would minister to them, and he would come out, and he would never get the plague. Because his faith was so incredibly strong. And he went, I remember the story... I remember the story where he goes into a little village and a little, in this village there's a, a mother who's got an infant baby and she has dropped the baby and the baby is completely paralyzed, its neck is broken and it's looking like it's losing its life. And he goes and he's got a, a missionary, a local pastor with him whose name is Latwaba. Aren't you glad your name's not Latwaba? And he's got, <laughs> he's got little Latwaba with him. And, <clears throat> and Latwaba takes John Lake to this tent. Latwaba takes Lake to this little tent where this mother and the baby are. 
And, and John Lake goes to pray over this child and he looks and he realizes there's no hope for this baby. No hope for this baby. And he looks over at Latwaba and here's Latwaba praying fiercely and intently for this child. And John recognizes the situation. He gets up and he excuses himself and he goes into a neighboring tent to sleep. And he gets into that tent and he kneels before God and he recognizes Latwaba has more faith than him. And he says, Father, this is the prayer he prays. He says, Father, remove every cursed ounce of unbelief from my heart. And he says he goes to sleep and about three in the morning, Latwaba comes. Mr. Lake, Mr. Lake, all is well with the child. And he cries out to God. And here's, the, here's the healing evangelist, the guy that was called in to fix the problem by Latwaba, and Latwaba fixes the problem for him. And Lake says, Lord, pull out, burn out of me every cursed ounce of unbelief. You see, so many times, guys, the faith is not the problem. We have faith, we're building faith, we're growing in it. It's that we've tolerated far too much unbelief in our life. Why does it feel like my faith isn't working? Because it's unbelief that hinders the working of our faith. Now, there's three areas that I want to highlight today that fuel unbelief and hinder our faith. If you're taking notes, I would like for you to write these down. Write down in your notes three areas that fuel unbelief and hinder our faith. Three areas that fuel unbelief and hinder our faith. Area number one, you're going to really love these. <laughs> Area number one, complaining. <laughs> oh, buckle up, it's going to get better. <laughs> Area number one that fuels unbelief and hinders our faith is complaining. Area number two that fuels unbelief and hinders our faith is being easily offended. Being easily offended. And area number three that fuels unbelief and hinders our faith is refusing to forgive. And we're going to pick each one of these apart. So make sure you take copious notes and let's really enjoy God together, okay? <laughs> three areas that fuel unbelief and hinder our faith. Number one, complaining. Number two, being easily offended. And number three, refusing to forgive. You see, each one of these areas touches on our love walk and how we walk in love. Jesus gave us a commandment to walk in love. It's the golden rule, we call it. It's, it's even, even the world understands it's important to walk in love with one another. Sometimes as the church, man, I just, I just shake my head and say, Lord, we just don't get it. We just don't know how to walk in love with each other. We love to criticize each other. We love to step on our own. Just push somebody when they're down, you know? We love to do that. It's terrible. It's deplorable. It's not walking by love. Jesus gave us a commandment to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's the golden rule. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's Jesus' greatest law. That's his greatest law. He said, on this hangs all the law and the prophets. Everything significant that God ever said or ever did in humanity is pinned and hinged upon this one thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the commandment of love. And how quickly we forget to have compassion. How quickly we forget to walk in love. Here we are over here trying to build our faith, build our faith, build our faith, and we forget the Bible says faith works by love. If you find a deficiency in your faith, if you've been like me and you've ever asked yourself, why does it feel like my faith's not working? The first place we need to go is check your love walk. Check your love walk. Are you walking in love with people? Are you holding grudges? Are you not having compassion on people? 
Are you judging people by the mistake they made yesterday? Do you have a, do you have a plank in your eye and you're trying to deal with the sawdust in mine? Don't say amen because I'm preaching good now or anything. <laughs> these areas, I want to show it to you out of the scripture so you believe me that I didn't just make this up. These three areas, and there's more. These are just the three that came up in my heart. There's, there's other things like fear and, you know, there's all, there's all kinds of things that fuel our unbelief. But these are some big ones that we need to pay attention to. Number one, complaining. Number two, being easily offended. And number three, refusing to forgive. Let's look at this issue of complaining for a second. Let's look at Exodus chapter 16. Y'all remember the children of Israel? <laughs> they, uh, they were an amazing people. God put his very presence in their midst. And they still missed it. That's human nature, man. I mean, you remember the children of Israel? Here they are in the wilderness. They're, they're surrounded by the favor of God. They're miraculously living. God is bringing them food every day. Every morning they get perfect manna. It's the food of heaven. God delivers it. They wake up in the morning, they look outside their tent, and they go, oh, look, breakfast. They know, you know, breakfast in bed every day. God prepares manna for them. Every night, tons of quail fly by, and pew, they shoot them, they get some dinner. Every day, God provides for them. His literal presence is hovering over them at all times. It's a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. They have, all you gotta do, could you imagine this? All you gotta do is look out your kitchen window and you see the very fire of God. And yet, they're in the midst of all this demonstration of miraculous things and they still missed it. It's human nature. It's human nature. We can have a phenomenal hope and healing service on Friday like we just did, and you can still get offended. We can have an amazing, glorious time in the presence of God, miracles popping like popcorn, and we can still choose not to forgive. We can still wake up Saturday morning complaining. And guess what? That's fueling unbelief in my life. It's hindering me. I'm trying to walk by faith, but I can't control my tongue. I can't control my mouth. I just spout off whatever comes to my mind, and then I wonder why my faith doesn't work. Amen. <laughs> my daughter just looked at me and winked while she walked past on her way to the bathroom. <laughs> she winked and smiled. You know why she did that? Because she's walking fast, but she's not running in church, and she knows that that's what she's supposed to do. That is funny, man. So Exodus chapter 16, you remember, these people are in the wilderness around the presence of God all the time. Let's look at verse two. The whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Do you remember what happened when the Israelites got exodused out of the land of Egypt? Anybody remember the miraculous things that happened? God sent plagues to give the Israelites an advantage. God literally opened a sea. Y'all remember the story of the Red Sea, don't you? It was pretty powerful. And, and what's so cool is that science has actually, people, people have gone and studied the chronology of, of you know, biblical timelines, and they've gone to where they believe uh, the Israelites would have crossed over, and they go and they dive down into the Red Sea, and they find chariot wheels, and they find remnants of, of weapons, and they find all, I mean, this Bible story of the Red Sea is absolutely factual. You can go research it. It's amazing. How quickly they forgot the miraculous things that God had done to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And here they are complaining against their leaders saying, we wish we would have died in Egypt. We really had it made when we were in slavery. That's what they're saying. They say, we really, man, oh, don't you remember the, the feeling of those 
Egyptian whips on our back? Oh, if we could only go back. Talk about it like it's a beach vacation. Oh, don't you remember when we were making bricks in the 115 degree heat and that guy kept beating us with a whip? Wasn't that awesome? See, here's the issue. Complaining distorts reality. Complaining is a total distortion of reality. God can do a miracle in your life on Monday and by Tuesday if you allow complaining, you'll be begging him to take you back and kill you back there. Lord, why didn't you kill me back on Sunday? Oh, you were too busy working a miracle in my life? Complaining is a distortion of reality. How many times do we complain about our spouse and forget that God picked them for us? How many times? How many times do you complain, parents, about your kids and you realize they're a gift from heaven? We forget they're a gift from God. How many times do you complain about your pastor? Daily. <laughs> what a goofball. How many times you complain about your boss and then you forget he writes your paycheck every week? Listen, nobody's perfect. We live in an imperfect world with imperfect people. Life is going to be imperfect. You know how many times I've had an opportunity to complain about things that happen in our church? Only every hour on the hour. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. But no, there's always a temptation to complain. But when I do, when I yield to that, it's a distortion of reality. I'm not seeing what I'm supposed to see. When the Israelites complained in the wilderness, they had to do so by turning away from the presence of God, which was there. I mean, here they are eating manna that God has provided for them supernaturally, miraculously, talking about we wish we could have died in Egypt. I wrote this in my notes. Complaint is the opposite of praise. (laughs) I heard one preacher once say that praise was the highest expression of faith. When you praise God and you exalt him for what he's done for you, when you're believing the Lord for something, you ought to say thank you before you have it. You ought to learn to praise him before it shows up in your life. You believe you receive when you pray, and then every time you think about that need that you're praying for and you've believed God for, you lift your hands. You say, Father, thank you. I I told you the story a couple weeks ago of our little daughter, Sophia, and how God instructed me to to believe for a creative miracle in her hip. And I did, and and I made the decision. I said, Father, I'm going to believe you for this miracle. I wrote down the day, the time. I put it on a little card and stuck it to the mirror in, in Brianna and I's bathroom, and I never prayed about it again. I never went back to ask God for that thing again, because I already asked him for it. I already believed that I received it. And so only, the only thing I did for the rest of that week was thank him and praise him. Say, oh, oh Lord, thank you. Thank you that we got a miracle in Sophia's hip. Do you know what happened? We went to the doctor and her hip was perfect. And she didn't have to wear a brace and she's, she's going to walk. Amen. But you see, praise, praise is the highest expression of faith. It's giving God credit for something you haven't had any evidence for in your life yet. It's giving him thanks and praise for a breakthrough you haven't seen yet. And complaining is the exact opposite of praise. It's the exact antithesis, the absolute opposite of praise. And believe it or not, every time we're complaining, we're scattering weeds into the garden that our faith is planted in. We're just like, by our words, we're just planting weeds. We're planting stuff that's going to suck life out of our faith and fuel unbelief in our hearts. Those who are smart, those who are mature, those who are wise in the things of God are those who have learned to think twice before they speak. My father used to say this to me as I was growing up all the time. You got two ears and one mouth for a reason. You should listen twice as much as you talk. And the church said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. (laughs) Exodus chapter 16, again, if you look at verse 8, watch this. Look at verse 8. 
Also Moses said, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread for the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which were made against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. You read verse two, right? It says they complained against Moses and Aaron and said, you brought us into the wilderness to kill us. Oh, that we would have died in the land of Egypt. Moses stands up. I'm so thankful for leaders that have a backbone. Moses stands up and says, you're not complaining against me and Aaron. You're complaining against the Lord. When I complain about my kids or I complain about my spouse or I complain about my job, I'm not complaining about that issue. Remember, remember, complaining distorts reality. You're not really complaining about that real issue. Your complaint is going up against God. Lord, why didn't you bless me with better kids? Lord, why didn't you bless me with a better house? Why didn't you bless me with a better wife? Why didn't you bless me with a better job or a better car or whatever it is that we choose to complain about? It's not right. And believe it or not, it's fueling unbelief in your heart. It's throwing gas on the unbelief fire. And it's gonna be really hard for your faith to work. Number two, got, got any goosebumps yet? <laughs> you know that I love you, right? This is just the Bible. I want you to grow. I want us to grow, man. Number two, area that fuels unbelief, being easily offended. Jesus said in Luke 7, we don't, or 17, we don't have time to turn there right now. We'll go there in a minute. But in that same passage that we read about faith being like a mustard seed, just before that, Jesus says to his disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come. There's always an opportunity to be offended. I would say that as I survey the church, not just our church, but the church in general, as, as I look over my time in ministry and into my parents' time in ministry, you know, I grew up in a pastor's house, so I've seen pretty much everything you can see in a, in a church situation. I think one of the overarching, most prevalent problems in the body of Christ is easily offended people. I think one of the biggest um, check marks that you can find in the life of a baby Christian is that they're easily offended. And as we grow and develop in the things of God, one of the marks of maturity should be that we're not easily offended anymore, right? Now listen, I'm not hurling stones this morning because I've been there. We all have to go through the same progression of maturity. Every kid's gotta learn how to tie their shoes, right? Every kid's got to learn how to make their bed. We all got to learn to brush our teeth. We all got to learn to do these things as we grow up. So I'm not here to hurl stones at you, but this is just a reality of how we need to grow in Christ. Baby Christians are easily offended. They don't see the trap that's laid before them. Remember I said this, I think it was last week. I got on, yeah, it was last week. I got on a little offense soapbox. And I just talked about this for just a brief second. But the word for offense in the Greek is the word scandalon. You remember that? The word scandalon. We get our word scandal from it. Shocker. And the word scandalon, what it is, is it's the trigger of a trap. That's what the Greek word means. If you've ever seen, or if you've ever used like a, like a trap to trap a raccoon in your backyard, one of those long gray cages, there's some thing you put in there, some piece of food, some peanut butter. I'm told anchovies work really good when you're trying to catch raccoons and foxes. You dangle some, some thing in the trap and you try to get that, you try to lure that animal into the trap so that they'll grab a hold of that bait and when they hit the bait, the doors close and they're trapped. The bait is the word scandalon in the Greek and that's the word Paul chooses to describe offense. We really don't realize that when there's an opportunity for us to become easily offended, it's bait. It's a trap. Y'all remember Star Wars? It's a trap. Anybody remember remember Star Wars? It's a trap, that froggy looking guy. It's a trap. Don't take the bait. Don't take the scandal on. Don't get offended. You're just getting invited into a trap. Selah. 
Proverbs 18, let's go there real quick. You doing okay this morning? I'm giving you a lot of good Bible jerky to chew on. Okay, I'm giving you a lot today. I want you to take this and chew on it this week. I want you to meditate in this word and let it change you, okay? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. A brother offended, verse 19. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. Look at verse 21. I want you to see the context of this passage. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. You think being offended has anything to do with what you say? That's not in the notes. That's a free little nugget that you can chew on later. An offended brother is harder to win than a strong city. How difficult is it to take a strong city? Remember when this was written. Remember the time frame that it was written in. Remember that cities back then were surrounded by big walls. And if you were an invading army, you had to penetrate the wall. You had to penetrate the defenses to get in and take over that city. Solomon teaches us here that a person who's offended is harder to win than that. Did you ever work with an offended person? Have you ever tried to counsel somebody who's offended? You know how hard it is? You know why it's so hard? Because the thing they need the most is the thing that has offended them. And it's so hard to feed feed a toddler food that they need that they absolutely will not receive. Anybody that's had kids knows if your kids don't like peas, but they really need to eat peas, it's, t- it's a task. It's, a tough to, it's tough to get that little baby to swallow the thing that's healthy for them that they need, but they're so offended by, it, that by the way it smells and the way it tastes that they can't bring themselves to receive the thing that they need, so they live perpetually offended. So many of us need so many things from this word, but we're offended at the very presence of it, so we refuse to receive it. That's why the Bible says it's harder to win that person. I'd rather take a city by myself than try to get the truth across to an offended person. It's bait. It's bait. Don't take the bait. Somebody might, be, somebody might just want to give you a hug and bless you in the parking lot, but if you get offended at the way that they approach you, you'll never receive the blessing or the hug. <laughs> it blows my mind sometimes to see the things that we get offended at. And listen, I'm no different from you. I get offended by all kinds of dumb stuff I shouldn't get offended by. I'm telling you, I, I, I'm telling you, sometimes I want to lay hands on my own head and say, stupid, come out in Jesus' name. You know? I'm telling you. It happens, man. We're all human. We all make mistakes. But this, this area that I've asked the Lord to help us in, to help me in, is, Lord, I don't want to be, not only do I not want to be offended, I don't want to be easily offended. Check this out from 1 Corinthians 13. I think this will bless you. We're, we're almost done. 1 Corinthians 13. Do we have the Amplified on there? No? Okay. We need to get the Amplified on there. This scripture in the Amplified is amazing. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. This is speaking about love. Actually, I'll I'll read it in in, uh, context. Let's start in verse 4. You know this passage so well. Love suffers long, verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Here it is, guys. Ready? Love is not provoked. Love is not provoked. In the Old King James, it says love is not easily provoked. I like the way it reads in the Amplified. It says love is not touchy. When I was a kid, there was a lady who used to come minister at our church. She was from Scotland. And she used to preach on this passage. She'd read out of the Amplified. And my parents, 
they love telling this story. Uh, they would hear her teach on this and she would say, love is not touchy, touchy, touchy. <laughs> How many of us are touchy, touchy, touchy? It's a mark of immaturity. It's, a, it's, it's the bait to a trap. Love doesn't behave that way. You know what's amazing about this passage? This passage sets the standard for how our life should live, but it also, it also reveals how perfect God is because God is not touchy. And you can offend him and offend him. You can do stuff to, to hurt his feelings over and over and over and over and over, and he's not ever gonna be touchy about it. Number three area that fuels our unbelief and hinders our faith is refusing to forgive. Go back to Mark chapter 11. We'll close with this. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. You doing okay? Awesome. Verse 25, Jesus just got done giving us the most potent faith lesson, I think, in the whole Bible about how faith works, and he follows it up by this beautiful phrase, verse 25. And whenever you stand praying. Note, note, before we even get any farther into the scripture, notice he starts verse 25 almost the exact same way he starts verse 24. Whenever you stand praying, whatsoever things you ask for when you pray. Jesus is already anticipating that we're gonna be praying about some stuff. And he says, when you are praying, when you do stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. It is fruitless to try to pray and not forgive. It is fruitless. It is pointless. Matter of fact, Jesus teaching about giving offerings and giving alms in church, he teaches the disciples in the book of Luke, he says, if you go to offer your alms, if you go to offer your offering before the Lord and you have something against a brother or a brother has something against you, leave your offering in its spot, go make it right and then come back and give. It's pointless to try to give. It's pointless to try to pray. It's pointless to try to do anything spiritual if you haven't forgiven somebody. It blocks our faith from working. It fuels our unbelief. So many times, guys, so many times, we're asking the Lord, we're praying, we're believing for a miracle, we're believing for some breakthrough in our life, we're believing for healing in our body or, or whatever the case may be, we're believing for freedom from oppression and depression and so many times we're believing God for some, some miracle over here and the Lord is saying to us, over here you didn't forgive your mom. You didn't forgive your coworker. You're easily offended by what somebody said to you. Go get that right and then come back and pray and faith will be easy. It'll be simple to believe God. Why? Because the crud of my life is getting cleaned out because I'm learning how to walk by love. I'm learning how to walk in love and it's causing my faith to work. It's purifying unbelief out of my thinking. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Don't close the door to forgiveness. Don't close the door to forgiveness in your life, neither for yourself or for anybody else. I know somebody hurt your feelings. I know that they let you down. I get it. I get it, man. I'm a pastor. I've been let down. I'm a, I'm a father. I've been let down. I'm a son. I've been let down. And I've let down people before. We've all been there. There's a, there's a scripture. We couldn't go to it for time's sake, but it's in Ecclesiastes. I wish I had the reference. <clears throat> I'll find it for you next week, okay? 
There's a scripture in Ecclesiastes where Solomon writes and he said, don't become offended when you overhear your servants talking rudely about you. Remember that you spoke rudely of someone else. Jesus oftentimes exposes hypocrisy in our own heart. And he does it so gracefully and graciously. He wants us to grow beyond it. This is, this, again, this is not, we're not here throwing stones. I'm not here telling you you're, you're rotten and you're no good. No, I'm telling you Jesus paid an amazing price for you. Your life is incredibly valuable. You're a new creation in Christ. The, the King of kings and the Lord of lords shed his blood for you. He made everything available to you. You've got everything you'll ever need to live by faith and live in the kingdom and make a difference in this world. You are an awesome child of God, but there's some areas we've got to work on. I'm not, I'm not trying to attack your identity this morning and say that you're less than who you are. You're not. You're a new creation, man. Amen. But we got some things we got to grow in. We do. All of us. We can't be so easily offended by stuff. We got to learn to forgive people. Amen. Sometimes we hold on. I, I love what... Uh, what Joyce Meyer says. She said, forgiveness, uh, unforgiveness, holding unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. <laughs> it is. It, it's, it only hurts you. You know, you know I've, I've had times in my life where I've held on to unforgiveness in some, to, against somebody and then when, when the Lord shows it to me, I go to make it right with that person and I find out they never intended to do me wrong in any way at all. And here I was rehearsing their offense over and over and, and painting them out to be, you know, Hitler. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know what? Let, let, me, let me share something with you. It's real deep. People don't think about you as much as you think they do. And it's real deep, super deep revelation. People are not out to get you, okay? You know what? You know what? Somebody, somebody stood you up or somebody was late or somebody did, disrespected you somehow. They didn't do it on purpose, amen? Nobody's out to get you. People just don't think about you as much as you think they do. People don't think about me as much as I think they do. Here, here I am, and I think everybody's just sitting around at home, just analyzing everything that I say and just thinking about me all the time. You know what that is? That's just stupid, stupid pride. People are not as concerned about us as we think they are. And that means something good. That means that they're not out to get us the way we think they are. That means that when they offended us, they didn't do it on purpose. Let's just walk in forgiveness. Amen. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, 38, 39, it's a very famous passage. The Bible says, Jesus looked at the multitudes and he saw that they were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd and he was moved with compassion for them. You know what the Holy Spirit said to me the other day when I read that? And he was talking to me. He was, he was calling me onto the carpet. You know what he said? He said, my son, Jesus, was moved with compassion. He said, sometimes you don't even have compassion, much less be moved by it. And I just bury my face in my mattress and say, oh God, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. Give me grace. I need your grace so that I can walk in love like you walk in love. I need your grace so that I can have compassion the way you have compassion. I need your grace so that not only will I have compassion, but I'll be moved by it. I'll actually do something with the compassion that comes up in my heart. Guys, these are critical keys to us learning how to walk by faith. What do you do when you feel like your faith's not working? Number one, recognize that it is. It is working. It's a seed. It's under the ground. You can't see it. That doesn't mean it's not working. 
and then go before the Lord and check your love walk. Lord, am I spending too much time complaining? Lord, am I being easily and overly offended by my brother and my sister in Christ? Guys, it's an epidemic in our generation. In our society, we are in one of the most easily offendable societies that's ever walked the face of the earth. We've got to fix it. We've got to do something about it. We've got to train our kids to not be so flimsy and easily offended. We've got to raise children that are not easily offended. We've got to raise church people that are not easily offended. And, and be quick to forgive, man. Be quick to forgive. Somebody forgave you. Jesus forgave you. <clears throat> I'll say this and then we, will, we truly will close. This is the last thing I want to leave you with. Um, one of the things that tends to happen when we hear a message like this you know, we hear that we need to forgive somebody. And so what we start to do in our mind is go back over every time we can think in our life that we didn't forgive somebody. And we start to go back into our ancient history, sometimes even before we got saved. And we just go back in our memory and we start to dig up all these things and we're trying to find some root of bitterness or we're trying to find some root of offense and unforgiveness because we, we have a good intention. We want to deal with it. We want to say, Lord, let me, you know, let me, let me get this taken care of. Something that can lead to all kinds of crazy stuff, man. You know, don't go digging through your past to try to find some problem because I guarantee the devil will help you find one. And then all of a sudden, it'll become some big obstacle in your life, and then we'll have to do something completely different. You know, then we'll have to come back and revisit it and look at the word for a whole nother reason. Here's my encouragement to you. Ask the Lord to show you things. The Bible says that of Jesus, or excuse me, Jesus says of the, of the Holy Spirit in John 17, or in John 16, he says he's the spirit of truth, and he leads us and he guides us into all the truth. So what we need to learn to do is ask the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth. He's not going to lie to us. Say, Lord, is there an area in my life that I need to get unoffended? Is there an area in my life that I need to forgive? Lord, am I, am I holding on to something that I should have let go of a long time ago? If you are, he'll show you. If you're not, don't try to find something that ain't there. Like the old saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? This is my encouragement to you. Let's stand and we'll pray this together. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.